welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Fantastic. Well, good morning, guys. It's good to see you. I'll try my best to be as clear as I can this morning, but I don't need to be asked twice to come here. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow night as well. I uh, want to share some things tomorrow night that I believe are very, very helpful. I, I'm not into sermons anymore for the sake of sermons. I'm into the seeds of God that can change the way I live my life. And, uh, you know, we don't need churchianity. We need Christianity. And so, and Christianity is very releasing and it's very, very real. Uh, I'm finding I have a lot of friends. In fact, one of them just bought a brand new Ferrari, the new 458. And I showed it to Tony last week. And it's the only one in Adelaide, uh, 740 grand. And a friend of mine's got that. And, and uh, he and some of his other friends are finding the patterns from God's word more powerful than some, ha- some Christians find them. I'm finding I'm spending my time with not yet Christians. And they're saying, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I didn't know that was in the Bible. And I want to tell you, the Bible is a book about life. It's a book for everyone, not just for church people. And it can change your life. And I'm finding over the last 30 years, I've been sharing stuff that once was a sermon, but now I'm realizing they are patterns that I've been able to build my life on. And as you get older, you look back and you go, wow, that worked. Wow, that worked. Wow, that worked. And I want to give you some of those patterns this morning. Since I've seen you last, I I know you can't tell, but I've lost seven kilos because I'm diabetic. And so I've had to stop eating. I'm Italian. And I can't eat pasta anymore. And I can't eat bread. And I can't eat anything white. And I'm thinking, flipping heck. You know, that was about the only thing that was left in my life. Now I can't even have a good feed. No, no. Um, but anyway, next time you see me, I'll only have one stripe left in my pajamas. And uh, if things keep going, I've been losing about a kilo a week and I want to lose more. Uh, you know, I got on the scales one day and they said, one at a time, please. So I realized that... Um, Things needed to change, you know. I had, I was, I put on a yellow shirt this morning. I took it off. I really did. This is the truth. Because last time I wore a yellow shirt, three people whistled at me, thought I was a taxi coming the other way. So, um, <laughs> so I thought things have to change, you know. I mean, I don't drink, but I've got a hangover, you know. You know what I mean? You know. So, um, so, uh, <laughs> so I'm not the epitome of fitness, you know. I run around the block six times and then I kick it back under the bed. So, you know, it's sort of things need to change. They really do need to change and I'm working on it. I've got a personal trainer now and uh, one day I'll have a body like Tony's. Um, if I tell you you've got a beautiful body, Tony, will you hold it against me? Oh. And uh, I better get on with it. But this morning, I've discovered that there's one kind of cool that's not that cool. There's a world out there that's trying to be cool. I have a lot of friends out there that look cool. They have their Ferraris, they have their nice cars, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love them. But when that stuff defines you, we're in trouble. And there's a world out there living in a very unreal world, and I'm discovering even in the last week, phone calls from some of these people that are suicidal. And I thought, but you've got everything you always wanted, and now you realize it wasn't what you wanted. So the question this morning, gentlemen, is what is success? What is success? I never thought I'd live to the day when I would hear something like, gee, that man's a good man. And everybody responds like, wow, good 
is an impressive word now. Because we've lost the simple things of just good. I love hearing the stories of Keith, your dad. He's here somewhere this morning. How often you talk about the influence your dad has had on your life. Is he a success? He doesn't stand and preach every Sunday. He doesn't go and build huge companies. But every time I hear about Keith, I go, I want to be like that. Thank you for being a success. What is a success? I know of a true story. Front page of the newspapers in America, where a man who had achieved all his goals. We've been living in 20 years of goal setting. And if you do this, you'll achieve this. If you do this, you achieve that. And that's not wrong on its own. But when it becomes an end in itself, and this guy had set all his goals. And at the end of achieving a goal, he would reward himself. And he decided to reward himself with a brand new car. One of those American GMC sort of big suburban type trucks and, and he gets this new car and, and he drives it home and, and, and before the day's out, his little three-year-old or four-year-old finds a nail in the driveway of the house and decides he's going to draw a picture for daddy on the side of the car. So he starts to draw on the side of the car with a nail and when his dad comes out and sees what had happened, Because he had an uncontrollable temper, out of the toolbox, he picked up a wrench and smacked that little boy on the hands and broke his fingers. Before he realized what he'd done, he he, he just fell apart and grabbed that little boy and took him to hospital. This is a true story. And unfortunately, they had to amputate some of the fingers from that little boy. When that little boy came to, And his dad was standing next to the bed. He said, Daddy, Daddy, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll never do it again. And that man went home, took a gun and blew his brains out. But he was a success. Or was he? What defines success? And so I was praying about this morning because I don't want to bring you sermons. I want to bring an impact that can last. And I was drawn to a a friend of mine now. Everybody needs mentors, and we all have mentors, but I have found some of my greatest mentors are actually in the Bible. People that can mentor me consistently, and I can go and read about their lives, and they can have an impact on my life. And one of them is a guy called Barnabas, my friend Barney. His actual name was Joseph, but they changed his name and gave him a name that defined his character. And they named him Barnabas because Barnabas means a son of encouragement. So if they were to give you a different name this morning, if they were to give me a different name, I know there was a few years ago that if they'd given me a name that defined who I was, they probably would have called me Grumpy, Frumpy, Dumpy, a few other umpies. And I looked at the life of Barnabas. And in Acts chapter 11, it makes three statements about this man. And we're going to look at it just for a couple of moments to define what success really is. Barnabas never wrote a book. And yet if it wasn't for Barnabas, the apostle Paul might not have been the man who he became because someone believed in him. You see a Tony on a platform on a Sunday, but maybe if he hadn't been encouraged by his dad growing up, he might not be on that platform. And when we get to heaven, we're going to love to talk to Paul 
The Apostle Paul, who we've already heard, wrote most of the New Testament, but it took someone to point to Paul and see the potential in Paul and see what Paul could become when even the religious community was scared of Paul. A man called Barnabas goes, don't be afraid of him. He's a good man and he's going to be fine and I can vouch for his conversion. Three things about Barnabas in Acts 11 verse 24. It says, and Barnabas was a good man. A good man. We, we look for successful men, but we're not human doings, gentlemen. We are human beings. We're not human doings first. I want to be as successful as the next guy in the real definition of success, but it doesn't start with what you do. It starts with who you are. It starts because you don't transfer what you do. You transfer who you are. You transfer who you are on the inside. And it says, and Barnabas was a good man. I'd like to think that if I die before my kids and before my wife, that they could come to my funeral and say, he was a good man. I don't know that people want to hear about how big my church is. I don't think they're going to hear how big my achievements have been. They're okay and there's nothing wrong with that. We're meant to bear fruit in life. But it needs to start with who you are. Can you imagine saying, he was a pastor of a great church, but boy, he was a bum to live with. He had a great church, but man, he was a grumpy and you couldn't, you couldn't talk to him. He was up himself. A man that's wrapped up in himself makes a very small parcel. But I know some of the most incredible men in my life might not have had a lot, but they had a lot. My grandfather, I spoke at his funeral. 90 years of age. See, my, my grandmother went blind at the age of about 56. And for 20 years, he sat by her bed and held her hand and read scriptures and gave her food and loved his wife when he got nothing in return. When I started going out with my wife, Sharon, I was the first Italian in Adelaide in our clan that broke the tradition from not marrying an Italian girl. I got disowned by my family. Two weeks before I got married, I got a thumping from my father and my mother and hoed into me. And my grandfather stood up and he goes, leave him alone. If he's in love with that girl and he's a good boy. And I remember never hearing out of my grandfather's mouth a negative thing about anybody. So when I did his funeral, because my dad was too upset to do it, I had to do my grandfather's funeral. I could go to the Bible and I could open up 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is kind, love is patient, and put my grandfather's name in there. And I didn't have to build a monument to my grandfather after he died with the stones we threw at him while he was alive. We build monuments. It's amazing how great people are when they die. You don't go to a funeral and hear, gee, he was a bum. Man, I'm glad he's gone. Oh, he was amazing. And yet we crucify them while they're alive and then... Tell everybody how great they are. We, we need to be good now. And it says, and Barnabas was a good man. What does good mean? Someone that makes the environment they're in better because they're there. The question today is not a whole list of rules and don't do this and don't smoke and don't chew and don't hang around with girls who do. No, that's not what we're talking about. But if you're filled with goodness no matter what comes out of your mouth and no matter what you do, you make other people better because you're around them. And Barnabas was that kind of guy. He was a good man. 
The other one said he was full of the Holy Spirit. Can I say this, gentlemen? There's nothing wimpy. There's nothing feminine about being spiritual. He was a spiritual man. And I want to tell you, a man who's connected to God becomes a better husband. A man who's connected to God becomes a better lover. A man who's connected to God becomes a better father. Because let me tell you, God, if He is real and He's the creator of the universe, He puts part of Himself in us and we can be a representation of Him to our planet. And let me tell you, spiritual men, not religious men. We don't need more religion. Religion sucks. But we need spiritual men who have a connection with God and can display His nature to the world around us. And we need some more real men. You look at the television today and men look like wimps and women look like the ones that are doing all the fighting. And I want to tell you, something's going to change in our society. Men are losing their identity because women's lib has gone so far the other way. In order for equality, it's gone to superiority. And we've run into all kinds of problems. And men need to get their inheritance back and become real men because they're good men. They're spiritual men and full of the Holy Spirit. He said he was full of the Holy Spirit and then last of all, faith. He was full of faith. We need positive men. We don't need men that sit around, oh, life sucks, man. Oh, man, you know, things are not as good as they used to be years ago. Things are bad. You know, the world's falling apart. We need men of hope. We need men who turn around and say, hey, listen, things can get better. We can see kids rise up and love their dads and mums. We can see families restored. And I want to tell you, there's a movement among men around the world where men are rising up, not to be dominant, but Lord, to live in dominion and to be men that understand like Barnabas that godliness means to be filled with goodness, to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you that is happening. And as I look at the life of Barnabas, I notice six things about him that are very, very, very uh, descriptive of the kind of guy that he was. See if I can remember them. I haven't even opened my notes yet. So how are we going for time, okay? So Acts chapter 11, verse 12, I've already read that. He was a good man. Now, these are some of the things that describe Barnabas, if you do a study of his life. Number one, he was generous. Oh, here we go. going to talk about money again. No, no, no. Generosity is a spirit. You've got to be generous with your words. You've got to be generous with your affection. You've got to be, you know, most girls draw their self-esteem from their dad. And I know I failed in that area. My daughter's 30 years old now. And I should have done a lot more hugging of that girl. Because let me tell you, if you're a dad of a daughter here today, your daughter will draw her self-esteem from you, her feeling of self-worth, and a father can model to that girl what a real man really is. And I want to tell you, I've had to do some apologizing to my daughter because when she was, you know, I, I can remember, isn't it weird? I think I might have shared this with you last time I was with you. But I can remember when my dad stopped hugging me. I remember sharing that with you. Remember last time I was with you. And it's funny that when my kids got to that same age, I stopped hugging them. I'm the guy that said, I'll never do what my father did. And intuitively, I ended up doing the same thing. I just found it awkward. I could travel the world and hug everybody else's kids. I could go to youth camps and hug everybody else's kids. But somehow, because I felt disrespected by my kids or felt sometimes I didn't do what I was saying and I was raised in that Italian culture that if you don't do as you're told, you get a smack. And I was starting to feel like I was being disrespected and I shut down on the inside. And I've, I've realized 
hopefully not too late, that it's never too late to change. And even when your kids have grown up and married, you can go back and say, look, I could have done those things better. And right now, every time I see my kids, I want to hug them. I want to just tell them I love them for who they are, not what they do. Because I realize that I was also loving with conditions. I was loving my kids according to their behavior rather than loving them full stop no matter what they do, even though you have belief that they're going to rise to what is right for them. And I believe that at times my kids have felt that a conditional love, not an unconditional love. And I believe it's never too late to change those things. Some of you need to do it to your grown-up kids. Some of you men need to go home to your grown-up kids and go, hey, listen, I just love you for who you are, and I haven't gotten this right all the time, but I want to be. I want to get it right. It's never too late until you die to get it right. Anyway, Barnabas was a generous man with everything that he did, his words, his actions. But, you know, um, he lived a life that it's more important to put a smile on someone else's face than your own. And I've discovered that when you live like that, you will end up with a smile on your face when you take your eyes off yourself. And so what happened was he had land. He had a lot of land and he went and sold it and he gave that land for the establishment of the early church, for food to be given to the poor, for that land to be sold to raise funds. And I'm I'm not asking you to go and sell your homes today and give it, but there is a spirit I'm talking about here, a spirit of generosity that I'm going to give my life away to others. And I'll tell you, there's a word called centripetal. And that word centripetal means when you become inward looking and you only live for yourself that is the first stage to depression when you become centripetal you start becoming inward looking I want money in the bank I want this to happen for me I want that for me I want that for me and you become inward looking and that's why my rich not yet Christian friends out in the community who in the eyes of the world are successful I went to one of their 50th birthday parties about three weeks ago I reckon mine was the cheapest present because if it wasn't a Versace if it wasn't a Gianni something or other if it didn't have a label on it it wasn't worth buying and I've never seen so many miserable people in one room and I saw people that had to take drugs all night just to put a smile on their face because they couldn't cope with life and the competition between one another. And I thought, if that's living, and why? Because they're centripetal. They are living for themselves and are discovering it's leaving them unstuck. But I've just come back from Italy and I've been in a place in Bologna called San Patrignano. And San Patrignano is 600 acres of land given to by one man in 1978, a, name, a, a guy called Vincenzo Muzzari. Vincenzo was a multi-multi-millionaire, but he had a nephew on drugs and wanted to help him and couldn't get help. So he gave away 600 acres in 1978 to build a farm for drug addicts. Today, it's the world's number one drug rehabilitation centre where the people stay for four years and they come out totally drug-free. They have a university. They have schools, they have 57 businesses and every single drug addict gets admitted for free. No government funding. And this one man started a dream because like the spirit of Joseph, he gave his life away to make the world a better place. And I went to visit this place. You've got to wait two years to get in. Governments from around the world have said this is the model for the world. Vincenzo died at 63. He's buried on the grounds between two AIDS victims. 
The hospital is the world's number one AIDS hospital. Guess who the professor of that hospital is? The very first drug addict that went into that centre. The very first drug addict that went into that centre has become now the professor in that college, in in, in that hospital. 2,000 students or or patients. We had lunch with them. It's like a seven-star resort. And they go in there for free. And after you've been in that program for six months, you have to become a mentor to somebody else. And people are waiting around the world to get in. I want to build one of them in Australia. I have a dream in my heart and I've already had three farms offered to me. One in South Australia here where we can build something like that for kids that are struggling with drug abuse in our country. Let me tell you, that makes me wake up in the morning with hope. That makes me wake up in the morning that I can leave the planet a better place when I leave it. And we don't have to do things as grandioso as that. But just an attitude of, I'm not just here for me, is a great attitude to have in life. And Barnabas was a generous man. I wish I could show you the DVD of that story. It is, I cried for hours as one of the Russian mafia drug lords who's just gone in there, 35 years of age, for six hours took me around and showed me the centre with tears running down his face. He said, the minute we walk in here, Danny, we are welcomed by a, a staff and doctors who hug us and say, welcome to the family. They welcome the parents. They welcome the whole family and nobody pays. They have chalets. The son of the guy who started this, when his father died, tried to turn it into a business. And his mother kicked him out and said, you are no longer ever allowed on this premises because you are destroying the dream. And so she lives with the patients. The mother, multi, multi, multi-millionaires who came to the realisation that living a life that's centripetal will make you more depressed than anything. But when you live a life that is generous and given away, not just money, you truly become the person you're meant to become. Not only was he generous, he, number two, looked for the best in people. Always look for the best in others. And he saw the Apostle Paul, who wasn't the Apostle Paul when he met him. He was Saul, a terrorist. And he saw what had happened in a moment of conversion in that man's life. And he saw the best in him. He didn't live with a a spirit of suspicion. There are three enemies of trust. Suspicion, gossip and insecurity. When you are insecure and when you are suspicious, you start to gossip. Oh yeah, but I wonder how he really made his money. Hey guys, I know this is the spirit of this church. When guys turn up in this building and they've managed to be successful in life, cheer them on. Cheer them on. Don't ever get suspicious of people. Don't have a spirit of judging people, but cheer one another. Believe the best in people. Because if you're generous, you'll believe the best in people. And as I studied the life of Barnabas, that's the guy that he was. Number three, he was a peacemaker. Not a peace lover, a peacemaker. When the church was in trouble, when things were in trouble, he always tried to pull things together and be in the middle as a peacemaker, a creator of peace. I can see why he was called a good man. He was a good man because he was generous. He believed the best in others. He was a peacemaker. And look, there's so many stories about him I could tell you, but we haven't got time this morning. And then number four, he worked in team. Hey guys, don't do life solo. Even the, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Batman had Robin. Men are good at running to their cave. 
One of the problems today is that men don't talk as freely as women. And when they feel under pressure and under attack, we run to our cave. You know, and we've learned over the years some of those caves. For some of us, it's pornography. For others, it might be other things. It might be gambling, whatever. And we have that little secret life that is our cave. Let me tell you, churches like this are unbelievable because we bring people out of that cave and we bring them into a place of team. We bring them into a place of uh, absolute mentorship atmosphere. This stuff here this morning isn't just a breakfast. It's opening up opportunity for you to connect with other men that you can start to become vulnerable with and open up your life. And let me tell you, I've got not yet Christians like the guy with the Ferrari we're talking about who says to me, and he's not a Christian, he says, don't go away to as often as you do because I need you around. I know I'm his insurance policy to heaven. I know a lot of these guys reckon we'll live our life the way we want. And then when we get really close and in trouble, we'll call him. But that's okay. That's okay. I'll just hang around. But it's so good to see some of these guys. So I sat with three of these unchurched guys and showed them a DVD in my home the other night from T.D. Jakes about what men do when they go in their cave. Guess what? One of them is in YPO, you know, Young Presidents Institute. He's taken the DVD and showed it to them. And now he's showing it to all these heads of companies. And I want to tell you, God is calling us not to be religious men, but men of influence. Men that have the spirit of Barnabas. Good men. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith. Not religious. Generous. Believing the best in others. Being makers of peace. And working in team. Also, he was very forgiving of other people's faults. You see, there was a guy called John Mark in the Bible. Young guy. Decided to go on a missionary journey with Paul. It was, the, one of the, it was his first missionary trip. They get to a place called Perga. That's where the cannibals lived. That's where they eat people alive. So he decided that the call of God had changed on his life. He wanted to go back home. So he goes home to Jerusalem and goes back home to mummy. And the apostle Paul, a man's man, goes, never trust that guy again. Never trust that guy again. He comes on a trip and halfway through he goes home. And Barnabas comes along and says, I'll use him. Guy that can give someone a second chance. I never thought, I'm going to be really open with you. I never thought in church world that Christians would go through the pain of divorce. And yet the reality is we're living today even in a Christian world where Christian people go through broken marriages and broken homes. I'd hate to think that our churches are so judgmental that when people come out in out of brokenness that we label them rather than giving them a chance again that he's the God of the second chance. He's the God of rebuilding the broken things in our lives. And what happens is Barnabas, my friend Barney, he comes along, he sees John Mark and he says to Paul, you might not want to do anything with him, but I'm going to give him a second chance. And guess what? Because John Mark was given a second chance by Barnabas, not Paul, he ends up writing the Gospel of Mark. He establishes churches all through Egypt and became one of the greatest missionaries of all time because he got given a second chance. I want to be the kind of guy, hey, going through pain with my boy. Many of you know the story of Michael, my son. Here I am, a father to many, and my own son falls apart. How do you think that feels? Many of you know the story. I won't bore you with the details. But I'm glad that God put the seed of Barnabas in my own heart because that same boy sits in my home three days a week now. He knows Dad has forgiven him, and he knows that we're back in restore 
restored relationship as a family and we're believing the best. And every time I pick up little Gianna and I pick up his little daughter and someone this morning here said to me, what an incredible wife he's got that stood by him through all that he went through. And I say, yes, yes, yes. Wow, wow, wow. Amen, amen, amen for such a pretty girl and a gorgeous girl that could have dumped him and gone and found someone else, stood by this man, stands by this man today and has produced for us a little girl that when she walks through my doors and jumps into my lap every day, I see it happen. I see the restorative power of the love of God that can take broken things and turn them around. Broken but open. Because we're not going to end up with perfect churches. Otherwise, they'd have to be empty. The fuller these churches get from that. I grew up in a church world where we lived by image. Where, you know, as long as it looks all good on the outside and we give in the offering and we turn up on Sunday. I'm sick of just turning up on Sunday. That's a good start. Let's turn up. But it's not come to church. It's come to Christ. Let him fill you with his goodness. And then you won't be going to church. You'll be a builder of the church. And you will become a proactive person in the community. Because we are people that understand that we're all broken. We all suck a little bit. And uh, at the end of the day, thank God for a second chance. Number one, he was generous. Number two, he looked for the best in people. Number three, he was a peacemaker. Number four, he worked in team. Number five, he was forgiving. He was a person that could give people a second chance. And last of all, he was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a spooky thing. It's God himself living within us, giving us creativity. I believe some of the best businesses are yet to be built. I believe some of the greatest influence on a city. I have just spent two days with World Vision in Melbourne. The head of the, the, the chairman of World Vision is the head of Medicare in Australia, a Greek guy called George. And as he began to speak about Christ, the tears began running down his face. And what people don't know about World Vision is undergirding it all is so much faith filled people who love God and and have a compassion and I want to tell you friends you can knock all the church all you want right now with this Catholic child abuse thing on television I want to tell you it's just a way for the media to go there the church sucketh there the church sucks let me tell you out of the 28 NGOs in Australia that give food to the poor, 26 of those, only two aren't, 26 of them are Christian-based NGOs. We have, come on. We have more volunteers per head of population than anywhere in the world to help the poor and the needy, but our government is one of the least giving to the poor. We're down about number 14 now. And the Prime Minister of England a couple of weeks ago said, I know we are in deep trouble with our economy, but I'm not going to rebuild our economy on the backs of the poor. So he upped the giving of England in their darkest hour financially to give more to the poor. And I want to tell you, that's the spirit of Barnabas. That's the spirit of a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And I just want to encourage you today and lift your faith that we don't want any more religion. I want to honour my partnership with 
Coney. I want to honour the fact that on this side of Adelaide, we're building a church similar to you down south. We all have our own little expressions, but we're building a church that's not to put bums on seats on a Sunday, but to transform a community, to speak into government. And I'm not saying this to boast, but when the Premier of South Australia calls me into his office and says to me, tell us how we can do more of what you guys are doing. Last week, I got an offer from our government of $2 million to finish the Adelaide Women's Prison here in Adelaide because we've just done a project in there that the government gave me $100,000 for and said nobody does it as well as the church. And so we are so blown away by what you've done. Here's $2 million. Will you do more because we can't do what you do. We love what you do. And one of those prisoners is coming to church tomorrow who's being released and coming with a guard to watch over her who's been in prison for 15 years. And she said, what I want to do when I come out of that prison is I want to come to the church and I want to give back to society because I took away from society all those years ago. That's better than the poke in the eye with a blunt stick. I'm done. When you taste that kind of religion, it's not really religion. It's relationship with God and relationship with your fellow man. And when we build like that, let me tell you what will happen. Our community won't be putting our picture on the front page because we've abused children. I'm not trying to be rude here, but when the head of the Catholic Church in Australia was questioned about the child abuse that's just taken place, this is what I believe the response should have been. Bring it on. Bring it on. Kids should never be abused. And if one gets abused, it's one too many. And we're an open book. And come in and scrutinize us and do whatever you got to do because that stuff cannot exist in the midst of what should be a good society. Rather than trying to, you know, trying to defend ourselves. Let's not defend ourselves. If we become the Barnabas church, if we become a church that knows how to give of our goodness, if we know how to give of who we are and transfer a life of doing life in team and forgiving people and all those qualities I've just given you this morning. We won't have to apologize for the church. We won't be on the front page for all the wrong things we've done, but we'll be honored by our community and saying you are the salt of the earth and you're the light of the earth and we can't do without you. That's what's got to happen in our society and it won't start just with our women. It's got to start with our men. But success is not what you do, man. It's who you are. And today, rather than go out and have a multi-multi-million dollar business, if that's what God's called you to have, go for it. But start, don't start with that. Start with being a man filled with goodness, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And that's cool. That's really cool. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.